0: In Jesus' name, hallelujah! If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter five, and verse one, I uh, this this weather messed me up. Y'all were gonna be blessed by Pastor preaching two different sermons from the same uh, portion of Scripture. I was gonna do one this morning and one tonight, and uh, it was two very different sermons, two very different ways, but from the same passage of Scripture. So. Uh, we're going to do the first one, and I don't know that they go in order, but we're going to do the first one tonight, and then, Lord willing, Sunday morning, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the other side of this equation. But uh, I want to just preach to you for just a little bit that, that, that verse, or that, or that song that we sung, Without Him. And what would it be without Him? But here's what the Word of God says, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Him to hear the Word of God, He stood by the lake of generosity. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, and the fishermen were going out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and Jesus sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he was left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draw. And Simon answered, saying unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. And then he stopped for a moment. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And you have listened to the song, Without Him. I want to preach you that. Without Him, you're nothing. You know, uh, there are characters in the Bible that I can absolutely relate to. I don't relate a lot to the lady characters, and that's a good thing. And if any of you guys start relating to the lady characters, I need you to come talk to me, and we're going to have uh, some discussions. Um... I, uh, I'm not a money person, I don't like numbers, math was, I hated math except geometry, I could do geometry left and right because it made sense, but you got into algebra and all that and I I remember asking my uh, uh, advanced algebra teacher, I said, I said, when in my life am I ever going to use what you're teaching me? Because we were up into the pre-calculus and maybe even calculus at that point. And uh, I was in an honors class and, and she tried to tell me how I could use it. I said, ma'am, I'm going to be a preacher. I don't need calculus. All I need to know is how to add and subtract. And maybe do a little bit of algebra. I know that sometimes that's good, but I said, I don't need this. Some ca- I couldn't relate much to, uh, you know, to Matthew the tax collector. I could not relate much to Luke the physician. But I can relate. To Peter, I'm thankful that God calls fishermen. Amen, brother Kozart, brother Keith, the rest of y'all, brother Chase. I'm I, I find in the Word of God that that Lake uh, Genarestad or however you pronounce that, just scratch that out and write Lake of Galilee because that's what it is. Sea of Galilee, however you want to look at it. It had about five different names depending on who uh, was in charge and who had conquered that territory. But you can find. Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It was a bountiful uh, body of water. And study it, it was not huge by any standard as seas go. They tell me that it's approximately 13 miles long and approximately 7 to 8 miles wide. At its deepest depth, it would register around 150 feet. While that's a massive body of water, it's not the biggest you could ever have. But there was something... About that Sea of Galilee, it held an incredibly immense and diverse fishery. As I was doing just a little bit of research on it, I had different ones, and it wasn't always biblical uh, commentary. But they were saying that that uh, the Sea of Galilee that it just it held a special place in seas. It was it just always seemed to have uh, fish. If any of you, in fact, the the Richardson's, perhaps y'all would be more. Uh, uh, in tune to, I think it's Lake Victoria in the Rift Valley. Lake Victoria has been horribly overfished, but throughout the, the centuries, Lake Victoria holds more fish per, per uh, a square foot than almost any other place in the world. Let me tell you how good the fishing was. Uh, I know, Sister Perryman, your, your parents—they like to go down and do the trout fishing, and I love to trout fish. But I will not go to the trout parks. Has any of you ever gone to the trout parks around March or April? It's wall to wall people. You have a stream, Merrimack or, or wherever Merrimack Bennett. Uh, I know the oars. Y'all have gone to Bennett and have camps there, but uh, the stream at one point is no wider than this church. And there's some I and mean, everybody connected to each other, and you're trying to fish. But imagine on that, that lake that was 13 miles long and 7 to 8 miles wide, imagine that according to Josephus, who was an early Jewish historian that we get a lot of our understanding from, says that at any given moment there would be 250 boats, I'm sorry, 230 boats regularly working that lake. If I did the square miles correct, they each had about a half a mile square to work their boat in and catch their fish. The first time you see Peter, he's fishing. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 when it says from that time that Jesus began to preach, this is after he came down uh, and and he had been tempted and and, put the devil to shame and then he goes and John the Baptist baptizes him in the Jordan River but from that time... Jesus began to preach and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon who we call Peter and Andrew his brother, they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in a ship with Zebedee their father, and they were mending their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, I don't know exactly what happened. This is the story that we read just you know, there in, in Matthew chapter 4 and then the story in Luke chapter 5 are two different passages of Scripture. They're not, they're not parallel passages. Somewhere in the calling of Peter and James and Andrew and John, to this point here, they did follow Jesus, but it seems that they had, for whatever reason, maybe even by design, they had gone back to fishing a little bit. And now here comes Jesus. He's walking to the, to the Sea of Galilee. And, and as he's walking there, here's Peter, James, and John and they they're just kind of sitting and they're mending nets nets if you've ever seen it it's absolutely incredible how they build the nets they each little uh, a square has four distinct knots and and if a net gets torn if a net gets gets hung up then it's no good and so they're sitting they have been fishing all night long and in the fishing of all night things that happen and so now they are that they are mending the nets, they're moored up in those rough fishermen with calloused hands pulling what seems to be miles, probably not, but endless expanses of nets and their experienced fingers are testing each knot. They're picking out bits of grass and mud and shells and their small fish and crustaceans that have gotten caught in the net that are no good to eat and they're drying out and so they're picking them up and bit by bit those nets are being repaired and they're being hung up to dry. I don't have a ton of experience with this kind of fishing, but the closest thing I have are the many, many times over the past uh, 15 or so years that I have been shrimping almost every year uh, with Brother Connie Babb on his shrimp boat. My job, when I go with him, I'm the first mate. He drives the boat, I do all the heavy stuff. That's how it goes, and then he gives me shrimp when it's done. I take home a huge uh, 120-quart ice chest full of shrimp. I came home one time in shrimp, I had about $400 worth of shrimp that I got just for having fun shrimping. But when we come home after we've worked all night, we open those nets up and we put them in the water and he turns that boat up as fast as he can and, and lets that water go through the net to wash everything away and then I have to pull all that net up. And while I'm pulling it up, there's crabs stuck in it. There's jellyfish stuck in it. There's seaweed and mud and there's fish and shrimp that have gotten caught up in it. And I have to go and I have to pick out every one of those because if you leave it like that, the nets will smell, they rot, they dry out, they shrink. And so here's Peter and James and John and Andrew and they're, they're working on their nets. They've toiled all night and Jesus comes on the scene and says, Peter... Would you let me get in the boat? Just just shove off a little bit, just so people don't get all the way up to me. and Let me preach. Let me teach. In my imagination, not trying to read more into the scripture, but in my imagination, Peter does exactly that. But Peter stays on the boat, and I can see him sitting on a cask, or sitting on, on, on some bucket, and he's listening to Jesus while he continues to mend the nets. You know that... Especially those of you that have fished, fishing's not done when you wind up the reel and go home. The hard work begins to start. you got to clean those fish. you got to clean your gear. And I've fished all day. i fished all night. Want to jump in the shower, but you got to do all of this. Peter and the rest of the guys were tired. The last thing probably they had in mind was listen to someone teach or preach, even if it was Jesus. They, I don't know how long, how many times, over and over, they had cast those nets out into the sea. I don't know if they were cast nets or if they would drag them behind two boats and encircle the fish, but they had done that over and over and over. Who knows how many times throw the net out, bring the net back in. Their arms and their back throbbed, reminding them of their empty labor. Jesus winds down, is talking and people begin to go their way and Peter who may at this time perhaps is, you know, is starting to nod off a little bit, his fingers hurt Jesus says, hey why don't you go into the deep water and let down your nets the Bible exposition commentary says it this way Peter must have been pretty surprised when Jesus commanded or, or commandeered the boat Jesus was a carpenter by trade and What carpenter knows anything about fishing... They say it's a well known fact in the Sea of Galilee, you didn't catch fish in the middle of the lake in daytime. In fact, from what I've been able to ascertain from study, that the Sea of Galilee, one of the best ways to fish was at night when the fish would come into the shallow water to feed. They would let their nets and they would bring that in. And and Peter is asking, or rather, Jesus is asking Peter to do things contrary to his teaching and contrary to his experience. And I know it messed with Peter's mind. Jesus, this don't make a lot of sense, but Jesus was good at that. When someone needed healing of blinded eyes, Jesus spits in the mud, slaps mud on their face and says, go wash in the pool of, uh, of Salome, I think, or maybe Bethesda, I don't remember. And uh, I'm pretty confident the disciples looked at him like he had absolutely lost his mind. Or when he walked into the little girl that had died and said, Ah, she's just sleeping. Jesus was good at messing with the laws of physics and nature and and all of that. But Peter, he's he's knowing that everything that Jesus says is contrary. Maybe, because Peter was pretty impetuous. Peter didn't have a problem, at least at the early portion of his stage in his life and his ministry. Peter didn't have a problem rebuking Jesus. He had done it before. And this is long before that. So I can imagine Jesus, said, or, or Peter goes, hey, 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 hey Jesus, stop. You know, that was a great sermon. And I know you're the son of God, but leave the fishing to me. I've been fishing Jesus longer than, you're, than, than you've been on the scene. I know what I'm doing and I have fished all night, and they just aren't biting. Now now listen, Jesus, it's because of the way the moon is. The moon, when it's right here in this phase, the fish just don't bite. If we'll wait to the next full moon, they'll bite. Jesus, I'm just, I want to go to bed. But there was something about that word of God. perhaps it was what was said prior to this on the boat that Peter was listening to as he idly worked on the net but something grabbed a hold of Peter and Peter said I don't understand it and I might not even agree with it but nevertheless at thy word I will let down my nets and he puts the nets in the water and look what happens they begin to pull up the greatest amount of fish they had ever seen the net begins to strain and heave and those little little painlessly tied knots begin to fray and they're in danger of losing the catch. They call uh, James and John their other boat and they come in and Peter learned a lesson. Listening to Jesus pays off. The ministry of Jesus starts with fishermen in a boat and the ministry of Jesus ends with fishermen in a boat. John chapter 21. Now remember all of these Bible verses because next week we're going to get right back into them and I'm going to show you something else. But, but here, here we go. Jesus, uh, the Bible says in John 21 verse 1 through 11 that after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Same sea, they just called it a different name now. There were Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And there were two other disciples. Simon had said I'm going fishing, I don't know what life is going to hold, I'm going to go back to what I know and they said well we'll go with you, we'll all get in the boat, we'll pack a cooler, we'll put a couple of Vienna sausages in there and maybe some RC colas and some moon pies and we'll go fishing with you and we'll have fun and they entered that ship and all night they caught nothing. And morning comes and here's these tired fishermen, now I've had fun in my life. I've caught some big fish and I've killed some big animals. And there's something about it when you're coming in and you've got a boat load of fish. Because when you pull into the dock, everybody's like, how's the fishing? And you go, yeah, it wasn't all that good. But have you ever been fishing? Our, our brother Peter's, have you ever been golfing? And you come into the 18th hole, and you make that, that in, and you walk in, and they go, how's your golf game? And you say, how's the fishing? Shut up. Here it is. These disciples have fished all night long. And Jesus is on the shore. And Jesus, they, they can't recognize him yet. And Jesus calls out. Now, I'm going to give you the King James Version, then I'm going to give you Buford's translation. They Jesus said, according to King James, children... Have you any meat? What he really said was, did you catch anything? No. Yeah, I know we're fishermen. I know this is what we do for a living, but we haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Okay, let me help you out. Don't Google it right now, but you can can Google the Jesus boat. Back when the Sea of Galilee had an incredible drought, it it, it lowered and an amateur archaeologist found a boat that would have been a fishing boat from around the time of Jesus. They called it the Jesus boat and you can see it on display. That Jesus boat could not have been hardly much wider than this isle. We're fishing here. We have six to seven feet. If I know anything about fish, that's not a long distance. But the width of the miracle or the difference of the miracle on that day was the width of the boat. And they hadn't caught anything over here until Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side. It doesn't make any sense, Lord. My net's big enough to go around the boat, behind the boat. I fish both sides. But when you listen to Jesus, things begin to happen. Because without him, you are nothing. Nothing. Jesus takes over the situation just like he did on that first experience when Jesus calls to Peter. They cast their net where he told them to cast their net. And the Bible records, and I don't know what the significance is. The Bible says that they caught 153 fish. And the cool thing was this time, although it was an incredible catch, the net didn't break. And there's some spiritual significance in that, but you got to come Sunday morning and I'll show you why. There were two important commandments given. The first one to Peter, thrust out a little bit. There are moments in your life where Jesus tests you with just a simple little commandment. Would you take me out just 10 or 15 feet from the shore? Peter, that that was nothing hard. I mean, Peter, he could do that in his sleep, but he obeyed because that simple faith is best equated To simple obedience. But then there was that second thing, launch out into the deep. This required a bit more trust. This required a bit more faith. But it was the obedience of Peter that unlocked the miracle. Because without him, you're nothing. Now you're saying, Pastor, you're having a lot of fun preaching about fishing, and I am. It's a whole lot better than last year when I preached about circumcision. I can do my research on fishing. I know that. I've got stories and stories and stories galore. But it's more than me just trying to tell you my excitement and my hobbies. Can I tell you something? That there is an absolute truth that I want you to get with me right now. And it's going to change your life if you'll let it. And I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker. But if you'll understand this one question. Are you in Jesus? He said it best, John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my father's the husbandman. Every vine that in me, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. And then he goes on to say, As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine. I'm telling you today, you are nothing without Jesus. I know you may have a degree after your name. I know you may have money in the bank. I know you may have done some good things in your life, but without him, you are nothing. Let me show you two verses that explain this principle. And I use a, a negative example. And a positive example. When I say negative, I don't necessarily mean a bad thing. But you know that with every, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If I, if I said I am going right, there is an understanding I'm not going left. Does that make sense? If I said I'm going up the stairs, the understanding, it may not be spoken, but the understanding is I'm not going down the stairs. That's the negative and positive statements. One is I'm doing this, the negative is, but as doing that, I'm not doing this. Let me show you a negative type statement. Again, I don't mean in a bad way. Jesus said, and he was explaining his ministry. It's, we went through Hebrews and we got to see this, how the incarnation and the oneness of God still matches so perfectly. But Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, not because I seek my own will, but the will of the Father that hath sent me. Now, this was the humanity talking of the divinity. But I think what Jesus said needs to resonate with you and I. He says, of my own self, I can do nothing. I don't think it takes a Ph.D. in theology, Brother Perryman, to know that if Jesus said of my own self, I can't do anything, then little old Brandon Paul Buford needs to say that a few more times because it really matters when it comes to my life of myself, I can do nothing but then all of the sudden from I can do nothing by myself we get the positive statement of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 that says I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me without him I'm nothing with him I'm everything so let me bring your attention to several more verses if you can keep up with me, I think that's Brother Smith back there, but Andy, if you can keep up with me, Psalms chapter 37, verse 1. How many of you have a Bible or an electronic thing that you actually use and you underline? If you're doing electronic, you underline in your, on your Bible app. If you're not, start bringing a paper Bible this year. If you're not going to use your phone uh, to its fullest theological capabilities, then don't bring it and bring you a Bible you can write in. It's going to help you out, I promise you. I want you to start underlining these. You know how you like people to to just tell you what to do? How many of you, be honest, how many of you have this year looked at one of those like ten ways to a flat stomach and it tells you if you do five push-ups today and ten push-ups tomorrow and eight crunches, come on, I know some of you have. How many of you have looked at one of those this year? All right, we got one or two brave, honest people. The rest of you are a bunch of lying cowards. Because we like that. Let me show you this. Psalms chapter 37 and verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. I want you to look at somebody and say, don't worry what the evil person's doing. I'm going to tell you how you can get rid of a lot of stress in your life. And and promise me, I'm going somewhere. If you'll just give me some time. I'm going to get somewhere where we can get down to the nitty gritty. But this is some good teaching. You you, want to get rid of the stress in your life? Quit fretting about what the ungodly people are doing. Underline it, circle it, put your name by it, go put it on your mirror, uh, on a sticky note so that when you're brushing your teeth you see it. Fret not because of the in- evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 3, here's another underline. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, verily thou shalt be fed. Here's another one to underline. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Man, I could preach all day on that. You want the desires of your heart? Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added unto you. But here's what I want you to underline, circles, whatever. Verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit thy way to the Lord. I was looking at that and as I began to study that I realized that the Hebrew word that that is pulled from means to roll thy way unto the Lord. Roll thy way unto the Lord it'll make sense in just a moment if that didn't get your motor running verse 6 he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday here's another one to underline rest in the Lord wait patiently for him fret not thyself because of him who prospered in his way because the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass cease from anger forsake wrath fret not thyself in any wise to do evil for evildoers shall be cut off but those that wait on the Lord they shall inherit the earth. Proverbs 16 pulls this same phrase. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. If you will let me give you Brandon's version. Commit thy works to the Lord and your dreams will start coming true. You say, what does all this mean? Well, let's keep going. New Testament, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The best way I have ever heard that verse preach was Brother Jerry Jones. He said that if you really want to translate that verse properly, it's not be careful for nothing, it's be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Paul had the don't worry before any little whatever smiley face saying it way back when, that don't worry, be happy. Don't be anxious for nothing. And it all gets wrapped up right here. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Rolling all your cares on his shoulders, putting all your burdens on his shoulders. He can handle the load. Your little tiny shoulders can't carry that weight anymore. They can't carry that yoke anymore. But if you'll link up with him, roll it to his shoulders. They're plenty big enough without him. You are nothing. So that's my introduction. But my ending part, Sister Stacy, is going to be a lot faster. Peter said, I toiled all night. Can I just, I I need you to help me out. I'm feeling good. I've been up and, and, and studying and got me some food at lunchtime and now we're here. I need some help. Have you ever done anything in your life and you worked a long time and nothing ever seemed to happen? If you will, you wasted a lot of time and effort, and a lot of resources, and a lot of blood, sweat and tears perhaps, and nothing happened, Peter said, Lord, you don't understand, we have toiled all night, we have thrown out that net, and we pulled it back in, and we've done it over, and over, and over again, but I want to ask you, just because you toiled all night, was God in it? What did God say about your situation? God told Peter, he said, You know, thank you for getting out where I could teach, but let's take it a step further. Why don't you go out into the deep? And, and, and Peter starts, at least in his mind, wrestling and arguing with God. But I know because I'm like Peter and you're like Peter that there's been moments where God has talked to you and he said, I'm trying to increase your faith. I'm trying to stretch you a little bit. I need you to go out into the deep. And immediately you start giving all the excuses why what God wants you to do will never happen. God, you just don't understand. I can't do that. If I do that, this won't happen. If I do that, I won't be able to have this. And Lord, it's just not going to work. But can I tell you that when God says move, you ought to move because there's a bountiful blessing on the ones that moves when God gives the order. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. My questions is simply this, and I don't need you to raise your hands, but I need you just to begin to think. Is God in your marriage? Is God in your job? Is God in your parenting? Is God in your schooling? Is God in your dreams? If He's not, you have nothing. You say, what do you mean? Well, I know I'm being a little facetious and I'm feeling my oats, but it's simple. You don't know anything. Your thoughts and your ways are not His ways. In fact, the Word of God says His ways are higher than yours. His thoughts are higher than yours. Peter said, I fished all night and nothing happened. It can't be done. I ask you this question Whose side is the net on? Put it on Jesus' side That old I love his singing But that Frank Sinatra that sung I did it my way Such an awful song Because I'd like to preach to you Quit doing it your way Because your way ain't working You say, Pastor, you're being funny I am Just try to lighten in a minute But you've toiled all night And you've gotten absolutely nowhere in your marriage. You've toiled all night. And you can't get anywhere in your job. You've worked all night. And your family is still on the rocks. You've worked all nights. And you still don't have dreams that are coming true. You've done everything your way. Can you listen to me for just a moment? Stop doing it your way. What do they say the definition of insanity is? doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different circumstance I mean a different uh, outcome rather quit doing it your way commit thy works to the Lord when's the last time and I'm, I'm not asking you to raise your hand but I want you to think about this when is the last time you literally knelt down and prayed over your marriage and said God I give you my marriage When's the last time you prayed over your kids? And I know kids can be crazy. When's the last time you prayed not that God would take your kids quickly? When's the last time you prayed over your kids and said, I'm committing them to you? Not just when they were, you know, three, four weeks old, month old, and you came up and you had them dedicated, but I'm talking about really say, Lord, I'm committing my child to you. Because God, if I do that, Without you, we're nothing. But with you, something happens. When's the last time you committed your job to Him? When's the last time you let God push you out into kind of your un, your, your, your that uncomfortable place way outside your comfort zone and He said, let down your nets. When's the last time you listened to Him when it came to what you should do in your job? Without Him, you're nothing without him you're a fisherman on the shore doing all of the work and having nothing to show for it but when you begin to commit your works to the Lord the Bible says your thoughts shall be established the Bible says commit your way into the Lord and he'll bring it to pass I know that might not be something we shout and run the aisles for but that's one of the most powerful verses you'll ever find in the Bible Give it to Him. Give control to Him. And watch what happens. ask again, I toiled all night long, but was God in it? It's not worth it. And when I say work, I don't mean necessarily in a job, but it's not worth it to work yourself to the bone and have nothing to show for it. When all God is saying is, Why don't you cast your net to the other side? Why don't you let me take you a little bit deeper in waters you've never fished before? Why don't you let me let your faith and your obedience take you to a place you've never been? But see, I know what's there, God says. See, I'm the one that knows the cattle on thousand hills and I can tell you where the fish are. In fact, I can just say a word and fish will follow your boat because I did it with Jonah. They threw Jonah overboard. I had made sure that that old whale was hound-dogging that boat because if Jonah would have fallen over in the middle of a storm and there was no whale to swallow him up, he'd have drowned it if it would have been a long time. I didn't have time to let that whale get all the way from this side of the lake to the other sea. But but I, I can just with my voice, Peter, just command the fish. I can tell them exactly where to go. Peter, you haven't seen this maybe yet, but there's going to be a day when you're going to need something. I'm going to tell you to go fishing and you're going to catch a fish and you're going to pick that fish up and there's going to be a coin in the mouth and it's going to pay your taxes. Well, Cozart, I've tried to catch a lot of fish and it hasn't happened yet, but I'm trying. Sister Buford, when I go fishing, it's not for fun. It's for financial blessings. But God says to Peter, he says, Peter, my ways are much higher than your ways. I, I I don't know if I'm getting across. I hope I am. What I'm just trying to tell somebody here is would you let this year be the year that you commit your way to the Lord? We talk a lot about prayer and fasting. We talk a lot about, you know, giving and paying your tithes and church attendance and all of that is essential. But you need to start committing your ways to the Lord. God, I commit my job to you. Would you lead me into the deeper waters where you know the bountiful blessing awaits. Lord, would you, I commit my family to you. I've tried it my way and it's not working. Lord, I commit my children, my parenting style. I commit my dreams. I commit my job. I commit my relationships to you, Lord. The Bible says if we do that, our thoughts, our dreams shall be established and our way shall come to pass. For without him, you're nothing. But with him, you're everything. What if we could stand right now. I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's speaking to to people, and not just one or two. I, I have watched you. You've been attentive, and I've watched you soak it in. And now I know the Lord is talking to you. I've done what I could do. I've brought you to the place where you can respond to the Word of God. But I cannot make you pray. I cannot make you drink of his living water. I cannot make you commit one iota to him. That's what you do. And so, when you come to this altar, and I think it would be beneficial for every one of us here to make our way at least more closer to the altar than you are right now. And when you come, there needs to be something you commit to him something that you say, Lord, I've done it my way and it's not working. Even though I have all the knowledge and all, you know, I should know better. But God, I've done it my way and it's not working. So God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Would you begin to come right now from the front to the back, every lady, every man, every child, every young person, every youth, every young adult. Would you come and commit the ways that you need to to the Lord? Because without Him, you're nothing. But with Him, you have everything. In Jesus' name.